Samuel chapter 1, let's pray and we'll dig into God's word. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you, we praise you, we love you, Lord. You are indeed a great and an awesome God. We ask, Lord, now as we go to your word that your Holy Spirit would be our teacher. Lord, again, not the words of man, but the word of God would go forth with power. We thank you for everyone who's here. We thank you for those who are watching on live stream, those who will watch on video later, those who will hear this on the radio at some point. Lord, we pray you would take your word and and do exceedingly abundantly above all we can even ask or think. Pray for those that are homesick. We know many. Those that are recovering. We just pray your blessings upon them, Lord. We love you and we praise you. In Jesus' name we pray and all God's people said. So, First and Second Samuel were really just one book initially. They were divided into two books. More just to be able to look up chapters more than anything else. Because as First Samuel ends, Second Samuel begins. A lot of times when you go from one book in the Bible to another book, there might be an expanse of time. There might be 50 years, 100 years, depending on the book in the Bible. Great thing. So in this case, when the last chapter ends is when the next chapter begins. Now, we, we did a lot of a review last week of, of 1 Samuel, so I'm not going to do that again tonight. But I just love 1 and 2 Samuel. And 1 Samuel, we, there was a lot of you know, character studies that are there from Hannah to Samuel right, to, to the beginning of, you know, to King Saul, and then King David, and Jonathan, and so many others that we see uh, in, the, in 1 Samuel. Now, when we get to 2 Samuel, we're going to really be focusing on the 40 years that, Jesus, that uh, David reigns as king over both Judah and Israel. For seven years, he's the king over Judah, and then for 33 years, he's the king over, over Israel. And we're going to see the life of David for 40 years in this, in this uh, upcoming book. Now, as we know, David's been kind of an enigma. When people think of David, they think of David and Goliath. That's immediate always. And you know what? What a mighty man of God. He'd been anointed king of Israel. He's anointed but not yet appointed. And it's still true as we're coming to 2 Samuel. And as a teenage boy, his own father thought so little of him. He didn't even bring him in when they were going to anoint the the king. He said, you know, one of your sons is going to be king. Samuel shows up at Jesse's house. He doesn't even bring David in. And as they each come by, they they all think, oh, it's got to be this son. It's got to be that son. And finally, do you have any more sons? They bring David in. He gets anointed king. But I love his humility because he's the king, but he goes right back to being a shepherd. And he does it when nobody's watching, and he's slaying bears and lions and watching the sheep, a job that most people don't want, and he's being faithful at it. And that's a great lesson for all of us. Wherever you are, whatever God has you doing, do it as unto the Lord, even if no one is watching. Can I get an amen to that? And God has encouraged us, God desires for us to be salt and light and do everything that we do to honor him. Well, David did had no idea that while he was slaying lions and bears and fighting sheep and anonymity and worshiping the Lord uh, by himself, that God was preparing him to fight a giant. And I believe that's true of every trial we go through in life, that whatever you're going through, whatever difficulties you have, whatever mundane thing you think you're doing that's of no value, I want you to know that nothing that goes on in your life is wasted and all of it will be used for the kingdom of God and his glory if we will let him. Amen? So David was prepared, and we know that David shows up, he fights Goliath, he wins the great victory. When everyone else was scared to death, 
as I say often, when David showed up, the Holy Spirit entered the camp. And he was the first guy that didn't just see a giant against, a, against mere men. He saw a mere man against Almighty God. And you know what? Wherever you go, whenever you show up, if you've been born again, the Holy Spirit just entered your neighborhood. Amen? Just entered your workplace. Just entered the grocery store. You know, when you show up, the Holy Spirit just entered Costco. Can I get an amen? And so we're there to be salt and light. And David started well. He won that battle. He, he, he was so faithful that he created great faith in others. And then they began to sing songs about him. Saul has slayed his thousands, but David has tens of thousands. And it didn't take long for Saul to quit viewing David as someone who took his place in fighting Goliath, somebody who was helping him win battles. He began to see him as an enemy of the throne because the, Samuel was told, we'll talk about this later, that he was supposed to kill all the Amalekites. And when Saul didn't kill all the Amalekites, Samuel told me he was supposed to. He told him that the kingdom has been ripped from you. That was the last straw on many times where he was disobeying God. But David, as we saw, after an amount of time of Saul coming after him, he ran. After being bold and being faithful and coming back after spears had been thrown at him and sitting at the same table, you know, at one point he recognized he was indestructible until God was through with him, that God had promised he would be the king of Israel. He wasn't king yet. Nobody could kill him. He was indestructible. And for a while he lived like that, but after a while he got worn out. He started running and hiding from, Saul, from King Saul, living in caves. And at the same time, he's an enigma because he was afraid of Saul, but he, he would not dare to touch Saul. Cut the hem of his garment or took his sword and did not slay him. And when we get to the end of the chapter, uh, the end of 1 Samuel, we see that he's gone to live with the Philistines. The very people he was called to, de- to destroy, he was hanging out with them because he felt like he was safer hanging out with the world than living boldly for the Lord in the presence of Saul. And you know what? There's nothing new under the sun because people still do that today. Can I get an amen? They become more like the world because they feel like if I'm like the world, then I won't face any opposition. The reality is, when you stand for God, it's promised that you will face opposition. Amen? The last chapter ended, if you were here last week, where Saul came to the end of his life. And it's going to be spoken of again in more detail this morning. But if you remember, King Saul, this man who had started in humility, this man that was used mildly by God for a while, this man who uh, had everything the world had to offer. He was good looking. He was tall. He He was humbled to begin with. Spirit of God was upon him. And the way his life ends is when he doesn't get the answer he wants, he runs and he seeks counsel from the witch at Endor. And the Bible says we're to walk not in the counsel of the ungodly. And let me just make it really clear to you. If it's not godly counsel, it's ungodly counsel. There's nothing in between. If it's not counsel that's, you know, spirit-led, that's The authority is found in the word of God and the person giving the counsel to you knows the Lord, then it's ungodly counsel and we don't need it. Can I get an amen? But he runs to the witch at Endor. He calls, he asks for Samuel. Samuel comes up. And then finally we see now Saul is entering into battle against the against the Philistines. And why does that battle take place? If you remember, there were two main reasons that gave the Philistines boldness. The first one was that David was now on their side, 
And the second one was that King Saul was uh, running amok and King Saul was not focused on what he was called to do. So the last chapter ended where King Saul was in a battle. He got hit with an arrow in his armor. He went down and then out of fear of being tortured, he, depending on, we'll look at it more tonight, he either took his own life or he had somebody help him end his life. So he basically commits suicide either on his own or with someone else's help. So now we get to 2 Samuel. And now Saul's dead. And now David has nothing in between him and being the king over, of, over Israel. But the one who's supposed to be the king over Israel is still living in Ziklag. He's living with the Philistines, the very people he's supposed to be conquering. So the king that was, the king that people chose is now dead. And the king that God chose is nowhere near where he's supposed to be. And the sad part is that too happens in the world today. That the one that the world wants flames out, but the people of God who are called and gifted by God to be representing him, sometimes we're so caught up in the world that we miss out on the opportunity to be used for the Lord in his kingdom. So if you have your outline, grab it. <clears throat> and as you're looking at the outline, before I get to that, I want to give you a quick, quick, just two pages of my notes, overview on 2 Samuel. Over the next several months, we're going to be focusing on the life of David, and there's so much we can learn from every aspect of his life, not only from his success and triumphs, but also from his transgressions and troubles as well. And praise God that his word does not hide the frailties of its heroes. I'm actually encouraged by that. Because if everybody in the Bible was Daniel, I might just give up. Because I'm never going to be Daniel. And you know, in a lot of ways, I'm never going to be anybody in the scriptures. But, but it, you know, it's good to know that God can use knuckleheads like me. Can I get an amen to that? That people who fail can still be used mildly by the Lord. That we don't have to be these super saints always per... Now again, it should be our desire to live holy and set apart lives. But know that God can use me and God can use you. And David, who is a man after God's own heart, man, he's like, he seems like he's tossed to and fro sometimes. He goes from a minute of being such an on-fire guy sold out for the Lord and His kingdom and His glory to a man who's running and hiding and doubting and, as we're going to see, sinning. David's life thus far has already been filled with triumphs, transgressions, and troubles. And again, uh, we'll see that this son of Jesse, this one who's been called by God, uh, you know, a man who was once a man of great worship, or is a man of great worship in solitude, he would be hanging out with the Lord. And again, this man of great character, a man of great military might, a man filled with the Holy Spirit. And what we're going to see in the next few weeks is... Three aspects to David's life and his ministry. David's life and ministry are going to be summed up in three separate things. We're going to see David's triumphs, we're going to see David's trials, and we're going to see David's troubles. First, we're going to see his triumphs in the first ten chapters. First ten chapters of 2 Samuel, we're going to see David having some great victories. We're going to see political triumphs, we're going to see spiritual triumphs, and we're going to see military triumphs. And again, 
brought to, he's going to bring the nation to the peak of its power. He's going to have, again, seven and a half years uh, where, where Hebron is going to be the capital of Judah, and he's ruling over the, the northern portion of Israel, what is now known as, as Israel. And then we're going to see him 33 years uh, ruling from Jerusalem. And he's going to be ruling and reigning. So his reign will be marked by, again, this David right here. We're about the midpoint between Abraham and Jesus. So it's been said, you know, it's 2,000 years from Adam to Abraham. 2,000 years from Abraham to Jesus. 2,000 years from Jesus to us. Amen? The Bible says a day is to 1,000 years as 1,000 years is to a day. So it's been about six days. Can I get an amen? And you know what's unique about that? What did Jesus, what did, what our, what did our heavenly father, what did he do on the seventh day? He what? He rested. And you know what? How long is the millennial kingdom? A thousand years on the earth. Amen? So guess what? We've had six days. The seventh day's coming. Can I get an amen to that? Well, right here, David is right about a thousand BC. So right in the middle between Abraham and Jesus as we come to tonight's chapter. And then, so we're going to see his triumphs, and then we're going to see his transgressions. His triumphs politically, spiritually, militarily, and then we're going to see his transgressions. We're going to see sins of adultery. We're going to see sins of murder. Um, We're going to see God bringing righteous judgment upon David. And then we're going to see David's troubles, troubles in his house, Troubles in his kingdom. And all of these are things that David can learn from. And they say experience is the best teacher, but it doesn't always have to be mine. We can learn from what David went through. Can I get an amen to that? So grab your outline, and, let's be, and we're going to begin looking at 2 Samuel chapter 1. And I titled the message tonight, A Godly Response to Those Who Persecute You. How do you respond to people who persecute you? We're going to see David and Saul have one last interaction, even though Saul's dead. We're going to see David responding to the death of Saul, the one who has chased him, the one who's tried to kill him, the one who's had real hatred for him. So a godly response to those who persecute you. Number one, we should not delight in the death of those who persecute us. Boy, our flesh wants to, doesn't it? Somebody who's been against you, someone who's brought harm to your life, and you find out that they've passed away, and you want to rejoice. And David is going to find out in tonight's chapter that Saul is dead. And many would think, if you just read uh, 1 Samuel, you've never read 2 Samuel, you would think when David heard the news, he'd be doing backflips. You would think he'd be you know, high-fiving long before it existed, right? You'd think he'd be excited. He's finally going to be king. He's gotten rid of his nemesis. David doesn't do that. You know why we do not rejoice in the death of those or the harm of those that, that persecute us? Because our prayer should be that they get saved. Can I get an amen to that? We want to see them saved. We want to see them born again. We want to allow God use this difficulty we're going through. It says in the Sermon on the Mount, Blessed are you when they're vile and persecute you and say all kinds of evil against you for my name's sake. For so they did the prophets who went before you. Being persecuted by the world... It's a way of recognizing that you belong to the Lord. Can I get an amen? So number one, we're called to pray for those who persecute us. Pray for their salvation. Don't rejoice in their downfall. The Lord's desire is that none should perish. No, not one. That should be our hearts as well. You know what? 
I, wait, I can't wait to get to heaven to find out who in the world was praying for Saul of Tarsus. Because somebody was. Can I get an amen to that? Saul of Tarsus was the arch enemy of the Christian church. He was the number one. He was holding the coats while they stoned Stephen. And he was the one that had, you know, with religious zeal to wipe out Christianity. And somebody no doubt was praying for that brother. And he became the Apostle Paul. And you know what? We need to pray for those very people that we think are beyond salvation. Because praise God, no one's beyond it. Can I get an amen to that? So number one, we should not delight in the death of those who persecute us. Number two, we must not take the attacks upon the Lord's anointed lightly. Now what's interesting is when people, uh, when we look at the world that is lost and hurting, and we see how they respond to things and how they persecute us, we need to show them grace. But when somebody attacks somebody that is being used by the Lord, we need to protect those people. Can I get an amen to that? Both of those things are equally true. We can, those who persecute us, we can pray for them. We can pray they get saved. We can show them love and grace and mercy. And at the same time, when we see someone's being used mildly by the Lord and the world's going after them, we should stand side by side with them. Amen? Point number two, we must not take the attacks upon the Lord's anointed lightly. And see attacks on God's people as attacks on God. Can I get an amen to that? What did, what did the Lord say to Saul? Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? Now, they were, he was persecuting Christians, so when you persecute Christians, you're attacking Christ. You're attacking the bride of Christ. Can I get an amen to that? And we need to see it that way. So again, show grace to those who persecute us but to say, and protect those who are faithfully serving the Lord or being attacked by the world. And then finally, we're to focus on godly attributes of others, not their shortcomings. Uh, I've said this a few times. I've got something in my house since my kids were little. Prayer praise. Prayer praise. If you can't say something nice, pray for them. If you can't do either one, shutty town. Can I get an amen? Keep it to yourself. And the reality is because I think too often, you know, we live in a world today that people love to tear each other down. Can I get an amen to that? People love to look for the worst in you. And again, about a year ago, God put it on my heart. And it's just been something that he's drilling in me every day. Holiness for me, grace for everyone else. Lord, I want to live a holy and set-apart life. Hold me accountable. Help me to be the man you want me to be. So holiness for me, when I look at myself, I want to recognize where I need to repent. Where I need to stay right with the Lord. Where I'm compromising in my walk. Lord, help me to stay holy. Help me to walk in the center of your will. But when I look at everyone else... I want to look at everyone else through the eyes of grace. Here's how most people operate. Grace for me, holiness for everyone else. We walk around being the sin sniffer in everyone else's life, and then we just, we're not broken by our own sin. We're not grieved by it. We're going to see in point number three today. We're to focus on the godly attributes of others, not their shortcomings. You know what? We're to esteem others greater than ourselves. Amen? And amazingly enough, David is going to find good things to say about a guy who all he wanted to do was kill him. And if David can do that with Saul, we ought to be able to do that with our boss at work or whoever that is, that nemesis in our life. Can I get an amen to that? All right, let's begin there in 2 Samuel chapter 1. A godly response to those who persecute you, we should not delight in the death of those who persecute us. Now it came to pass after the death of Saul... 
when David had returned from the slaughter of the Amalekites, and David had stayed two days in Ziklag. Notice it doesn't skip a beat. It picks up right where chapter 31 left off. David has gone out, and even though he's living in the land of the Philistines, he has entered into battle against the Amalekites, who are enemies of God's people. And he is in Ziklag, David's home, which is in, within the land of the Philistines. David is living with the enemy, and he's at home with the enemy. Guys, we should not be at home in this world. Can I get an amen to that? This is not our home. Heaven is our home. And again, while we live here, we should not be comfortable here. And the sad part I hear from a lot of people is, well, I just trying to, I want to live my life. I just want to be more comfortable. Nowhere in the Bible does it say that the Lord wants us to be comfortable. He sends us a comforter because we're supposed to be uncomfortable. Can I get an amen? But David has fallen into the trap that even though he goes out and fights a battle that is helping the children of Israel, he continues to camp out in Ziklag. He's hanging out with the Philistines. He's living amongst the very people God had called him to conquer, the very people that are attacking his own people, and he's living with them, and he's comfortable there. And Lord, help us never to be comfortable in this world. We're in the world, but not of the world. Amen? We, should, we, we, we want to love people, we want to minister to people, but guys, this is not our home, and we should not be comfortable here. David's home, again, he returns to Ziklag after this campaign, and it's a city that is, is smoldering in ashes. If you remember that the city had been attacked, and that, remember, they burnt the city to the ground, and their own people were scattered, and all these mighty men, their wives and everybody, and so here they're, they're camping out, Staying in the land of the Philistines, even after all they faced. And now word is going to come to David that something has happened. It's going to be life-changing. And it'll be interesting to see how David responds. So he comes back home. He's just fought a battle. You imagine going out and fighting in a, in a battle or a, a small war of some type. And now you come home. And you're just kind of licking your wounds. And everybody's there in Ziklag. And David's not where he's supposed to be. And now verse 2, on the third day, behold, it happened that a man came from Saul's camp with his clothes torn and dust on his head. And so it was when he came to David that he fell on the ground and prostrated himself. Into the city comes this young man who looks as withered as the city that he now lives. You know, Ziklag has been, to me, you know, imagine you know, the ancient version of war-torn, you know, France or Germany or England when all the bombs had gone off. I mean, so they're living in ruins, and this guy comes running in, and it's obvious from his apparel and the dust on his head that he's traveled a great distance, and it's also very obvious that he's been through a great amount of turmoil, and he's running into the camp. Now, keep in mind, today, we have information about everything. How many people own an encyclopedia? When was the last time you opened it up? You don't need it anymore. I remember paying, my parents paid $1,500 for some books, right? And now you just ask Siri anything or you open up your phone and you, and you can find out anything anywhere, anytime. I think it's awesome because, side note, you know, when they say that the that, that two uh, witnesses, 
during the great tribulation will die and the whole world will see them raised from the dead. And they're saying they'll be in the street and everyone will see them. And 50 years ago, people thought, how will that happen? Well, now nobody wonders how that will happen. They'll be FaceTiming. Amen. So here's what happens. News is coming from what's taking place off in the other battles. And when this guy runs in, there's no way David could have known. There's no telegraph. There's no phone. There's no way to know. And so when he comes in, he's going to get David's attention. And David's going to be hungry for information. He's going to want to know what's taking place. And he can see that this, this young man's been a part of a major battle. And he runs into David's presence. David himself is in ruins. And he's about to hear some news he probably wasn't prepared for. No doubt he's anxious for news from the battles taking place between Israel and the Philistines. The battle that he almost entered on the Philistine side and God gave him a way of escape because the Philistines said, we don't trust you to fight with us. And some will say, well, David was always going to fight for Israel. Uh, you know what? You don't hang out in the German camp if you're going to fight for the, you know, for the allies. Can I get an amen? So God gave him deliverance from that. But no doubt he's still curious about what's taking place. Verse 3. And David said to him, where have you come from? So he said, I have escaped from the camp of Israel. No doubt this is peaking David. What has happened? What's taking place between the people I now live with and the people I'm called to protect? There's no doubt that David's heart is for Israel, but at the same time, he has compromised and he's living with the Philistines. And again, David's heart, no doubt, is stirred and he's waiting to hear the answer, verse 4. That David said to him, how did the matter go? Please tell me. You just hear the urgency in his voice. What's happening with Israel? What's happening with the Philistines? What's happening in the battle? And it says, he answered him, the people have fled from the battle. Many of the people are fallen and dead. Now David's heart is already sinking. While he, was, I, while he was ready to fight for the Philistines, hearing the deaths of the people he's called to protect and serve as their king, no doubt grips his heart. But as much as that gripped his heart, the next words out of this, this messenger's mouth are going to break his heart. It says, many are fallen and dead, and Saul and Jonathan, his son, are dead also. He receives word that the children of Israel have been soundly defeated, that many are dead, the rest have run away, running for their lives. And again, the only reason they're having to run for their lives is their king, the, the man David, is not with them. And here's the reality, when, especially start when in a smaller place, in your home, there are children whose lives are a mess because their father wasn't where he was supposed to be. Can I get an amen to that? Because mom and dad aren't taking them to church because they're not being raised in a godly home. They've been abandoned by the ones that are supposed to watch over them. Now, ultimately, God watches over us, but he uses men and women like us. And David was supposed to be their warrior. David was supposed to be you know, leading the charge. Remember, they were all fearful when they were facing the Philistines with Goliath, and it was one man, young David, who came into the camp filled with the Holy Spirit that brought boldness to the entire camp after he slayed Goliath and set the Philistines running for their lives. And now, not that much time has gone by. A few decades have gone by, and now here we are, 
and David's not even helping. And now the word comes back that the children of Israel are not the ones chasing the Philistines, but it's the other way around. And it's because David is not where he's supposed to be doing what he's supposed to be doing. And then he hears that Saul and Jonathan are dead. Now, some of us would think that you know, he'd, start doing a, you know, he'd start doing a jig or something, right? Because Saul is the man that has caused him to live in a cave. Saul is the one who threw spears at him. Saul's, Saul took his wife away from him. Have you forgotten that? So all these things that Saul has done, you would think that David would throw a feast. Now I have an idea that this messenger who's coming to tell David thinks that this is great for him. Because when he tells David that his nemesis the man persecuting him is dead. No doubt David's going to give him a reward. At the very least, he's going to throw a huge feast. At the very least, he'll have him come join him. He'll have a position for him. So when he comes, he's expecting to get uh, this response from David. And the response he's going to get is nowhere near what he thinks he's going to get. Thinks he's bringing good news to David. Saul has perished David, he'd sought David's death and taken his wife. So David's heart is broken, and he says this. Now, Jonathan, on the other hand, we'll get to him in a moment, but while Saul was his greatest nemesis, Jonathan was his best friend. And we're going to see that David mourns for both the man who's trying to kill him and the man on the planet that's closest to him. He mourns for them both. And I love that example. That we should not rejoice again in the death of even the wicked. We need to pray. God brings righteous judgment. That judgment's up to the Lord. Can I get an amen to that? But we need to be those who pray for them. So he says to him in verse 5. So David said to the young man who told him, How do you know that Saul and Jonathan his son are dead? How do you know? How do you have proof? How do you know? Did somebody tell you? Did you hear somebody whispering? Is this just a rumor that's out there? How do you know for sure that David and Jonathan are dead? Did you just hear about it? Or did you see it? Did you see their bodies? David didn't want to believe the news. Often when people hear really bad news, they, the first thing they say is, that can't be. I've had to share with people Somebody in their family committed suicide. I've had to share with people, you know, that somebody died. And the response often is, oh, no, no, you might, you've got to be wrong. Oh, no, 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 that can't be true. No, 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 I, don't, I won't believe it until I see it. Well, that's where David is. David is mourning, and David is grieved by this, and David doesn't want to believe it. So he says to this young man, how do you know? Verse 6, then the young man who told him said, as I happened by chance... To be on Mount Goboa, there was Saul leaning on his spear. And indeed, the chariots and horsemen followed hard after him. The young man tells David, it's not hearsay. I was wandering by in the midst of the battle, and I saw him die. I saw him leaning on his spear. I saw him you know, putting himself to death, if you will. We're going to get some different versions of that in the coming verses. But he's saying he's fallen on his spear. He was being chased. He took his own life. I saw it. Now he's going to embellish what he saw in a minute, and maybe he's telling the truth. But he thinks that he won the lotto that he saw Saul dead. 
or helped him die, whichever is the case. He thinks when he goes to tell David, he's going to get a hero's welcome. They're going to throw a parade for me. And he's about to find out that he doesn't know the heart of David at all. Because David's not going to rejoice in the death of Saul, and certainly not in the death of Jonathan. Now it says here in verse 7, Now when he looked behind him, he saw me and called me, and I answered, here I am. He's talking about Saul. So Saul is leaning on his spear. He's laying there. He's ready to take his own life. He's fearful that these guys coming to attack him are going to torture him. And being the coward that he is, he's not going to fight. He's going to take his own life or have someone assist in taking his life. One of those two is true. And so this young man says, I'm walking by, and he called me. And so I went over to Saul, verse 8. And he said to me, who are you? So I answered him, I am on what? An Amalekite. We're going to get to that in a minute. An Amalekite. By the way, do you think it's an Amalekite that by chance was walking by? By the way, there's no chances in the Bible. Can I get an amen to that? And we're going to talk about the significance of this man being an Amalekite in just a moment. What a powerful picture this is. And then he said... He said to me, please stand over me and kill me, for language has come upon me, but my life still remains in me. So I stood over, he cried out in suffering and anguish, and he begged me to put him out of his misery. Verse 10, so I stood over him and killed him, because I was sure that he could not live after he had fallen. And I took the crown that was on his head and the bracelet on his arm, and brought them here to my Lord. Let's start the party. Where's my feast? When's the parade? So not only did I kill your greatest enemy, whether he's telling the truth or not, but I've got his crown that belongs to you. We all know, David, it should have been yours a long time ago. And here's his bracelet, and he's dead, and now you can be the king, and now you don't have to worry about him anymore. And I was the lucky one who found him, and I finished him off for you, David. So what are you going to do for me? What kind of reward am I going to get? You know, when you killed Goliath, didn't, didn't uh, Saul give you his daughter? You got a daughter hanging around anywhere? I mean, I'm not, you know, he's, he's looking for a reward. And sadly, some people, when they're zealous, and they zealously do things contrary to the Word of God, they fall into the trap of thinking somehow they're going to get a reward when what they're really going to get is righteous judgment. Amen? You know, I'm not a super political guy, but when I hear people, first of all, when I look at a, a recent debate, I wouldn't hire those people to mow my lawn. And we're voting on making them the, the head of our country. Help me out here. Can I get an amen to that? And I just look at this nonsense, but they... I think in their own mind, they think they're doing God's work. They think they're doing God's work. And they'll even say, I'm doing God's work. Read your Bible, you're not doing God's work. Can I get an amen to that? This young man thinks he's coming to David. I'm doing God's work. Look what I've done. I did this for you, David. God raised up Saul. It would be God alone that takes Saul down. 
This young Amalekite anticipates again this news will bring great joy to David, the man who for 10 years has caused David, 10 years or longer, to live a life of a fugitive. Man who had held position, God had promised him. Man who had thrown spears in him, sought to kill him, taken his wife away from him, made him and his death the focal point of his entire existence. Saul's death would mean David wouldn't have to run anymore, and he would finally be king. I have an idea that this guy's thinking about it. He's got the, he's got the bracelet and the crown. He's probably running. He can't wait to tell David. He's like, this is my lucky day. This is the best thing that ever happened to me. I get to go tell David what has happened. I get to deliver the most wonderful news. And the new king of Israel, no doubt, he's going to pour out blessings on me. I can hardly wait. There are a lot of people that think they're doing good for the kingdom of God. when what they're actually doing is in direct disobedience to what God commands. Can I get an amen to that? I have friends who disagree with me politically, and they'll say, how dare you say that you, if you're a Christian, you can't do this? And I, well, here's what I would say to you. If you're, if you're pro-baby killing, you're not honoring Christ. Can I get an amen to that? If you're pro-redefining the definition of marriage, you're not honoring Christ. If you're anti-freedom uh, you know, of religion in the way that it should be, you're not honoring Christ. Can I get an amen to that? If you're changing our education to teach people a lie and to turn our children away from the Lord, you're not honoring Christ. Amen? When you deny the, the, the fact that God created us male and female, you're not honoring Christ. And you can't dishonor Christ and call yourself a faithful Christian at the same time. And this man comes. He thinks he's done God's work. He's about to find out he has not at all. Surely this young man, no doubt, thought David would be happy and he would be rewarded. We know how, we, you wonder how David feels about this man? I can tell you, because it's in chapter 4. I'll read it, you'll read ahead, but here's what he says in chapter 4. 1 Samuel 4, verse 10. When someone told me, look, Saul is dead, thinking he brought me good news, I arrested him and had him executed in Ziklag. The one who thought I would give him a reward for his news. David did not respond the way the young man had anticipated. See, we think that there's going to be one reaction to the choices that we make if we're living according to the ways of the world and if we're thinking according to our our fleshly desires. We may think that a certain action is going to be rewarded when actually there's going to be heavy consequences. Amen? Just do what feels good, man, you know? Live your truth. Stop it. I'm going to be sick. There's only one truth. Can I get an amen to that? Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father but by Him. This guy comes, and he thinks it's going to be the greatest day of his life, and it's going to be the last day of his life. Because his focus is not on what the Word of God has commanded, not what it says about God raises up and sets down kings. And David, this is really going to get a hold of David's heart. Look what it says in verse 11. Therefore David took a hold of his own clothes and tore them, and so did all the men who were with him. Saul's death did not produce a fist pump by David. Yeah, about time. Instead, he tore his clothes because he was so grieved there were no words that could express the depth of his grief 
And, and what they would do is they would tear their clothes as a sign that they're just, they're so beyond grief. They, they have no way of expressing it. And what's interesting is his mighty men, right? These hundreds of men who've been following with him, who have seen him spare Saul's life, but also seen him join the side of the Philistines. And they're no doubt all watching to see how David's going to respond. And if David had been pumping his fist that Saul was dead, I think 600 guys would have been pumping their fist. But because David tore his clothes and mourned over the death of Saul and of Jonathan, so too they all mourned. And guys, the world is watching to see how we are going to respond. Can I get an amen to that? And we need to be a Christ-like example to respond in a godly way. To be an example for others to follow. We're all sinners saved by grace, but the world is watching. Torn clothes and deep mourning, not a fist pumped in a feast and a celebration. All of David's men, those who again had encouraged him to smite Saul years earlier in the Getty, watched to see how he would respond, and so too to those around us. And David's response, tearing his clothes, and again in their culture, was a mark of, de- of just the deepest level of grieving. Verse 12. And they mourned and wept and fasted until evening for Saul and for Jonathan his son, for the people of the Lord, for the house of Israel, because they had fallen by the sword. They mourned and wept. Instead of celebration and a feast, the Amalekite expected there was mourning and fasting. You know, the deepest griefs are seen where I don't even want to eat anything. I don't want anything. I, I can't do anything. I don't want to focus on anything. I just need to grieve right now. I, I, I can't, nothing else can overcome my thoughts. Nothing else, I just need to grieve. And you know what? Sometimes we're with people that are going through that. And you know what? We don't need to give them necessarily all the words. We can try to encourage them and pray for them. But sometimes we just need to put our arm around them and love on them. Amen. And mourn with them. And this is where they are. They're mourning. They're mourning the death of Saul, the death of Jonathan, but they're also mourning what's happening in Israel. And you know what? God is using this to get David's eyes back where they need to be. Can I get an amen to that? You might flee from your home, but then when you find out that someone broke into your house and killed you know, two of your family members, that house that you had fled from, you now want to run home to and protect. Amen? And that's what's happening to David. David has to be hit pretty hard to get his attention. I believe God's using this right here. It's not just the death of the king, but the death of his dearest friend, and to know that the children of Israel are running for their lives. And no doubt David's heart is pierced. Because he's supposed to be the one leading them into battle. Not fighting against them. So David's response to Saul's hatred and his venom was love. You know what this reminds me of? A word in the New Testament. What is it? Agape. It's when you love someone outside of yourself more than yourself. It's loving somebody that doesn't necessarily deserve it. And it's a love that doesn't change based on the circumstances. Can I get an amen? But notice it says, and for Jonathan. Now it's far easier to understand as Jonathan was willing to die for David, while Saul's greatest desire was to see David dead. And David mourns for them both alike. From a physical perspective, David's reaction appears to be just the opposite, again, of what you would expect. But David has an eternal and godly perspective, at least at this moment, not a temporal one. 
David's focus not on himself, but what Saul's death would mean to him and to all of Israel. Again, may we not delight in the death or downfall of those who persecute us, but pray for their salvation. He wept for Saul. He wept for Jonathan, for the people of the Lord, and all the house of Israel. So point number one, godly response to those who persecute you. We should not delight in the death of those who persecute us. Point number two, we must take attacks upon the Lord's anointed. We must not take them lightly. Look at verse 13. Then David said to the young man, David said to the young man who told him, Where are you from? And he answered and said, I am the son of an alien, an Amalekite. Let's talk about the Amalekites for the next few minutes. The Amalekites arrive on the scene back in the book of Exodus, where we see the children of Israel after being delivered out of bondage in Egypt, and when they refuse to enter into the land of promise, it's about an 11-day journey, turn into a 40-year death march because they would not obey God and do what he said. So during their 40-year death march through the wilderness, the Amalekites would see those who were in the back of the pack, those who were older or those who were sickly, and what would happen is they would come down from the hills and they would attack and kill them and take from them. And it says in Exodus, the Lord says, I have seen what you have done. And I will not forget. So God's going to bring righteous judgment upon them. And he's told them he has not forgotten what they've done. He has seen what they've done. And he will not forget. The Malachites are, were pagan and idolatrous people who were enemies of God. And they were a type or a picture of the flesh. They were descendants of Esau. Right? Remember one brother was the brother, the brother of the spirit and Esau was the brother of the flesh. Who's Esau's brother? Jacob. So Jacob would become the children of Israel. Esau, the enemies of Israel. They were descendants of Esau. It says back in Deuteronomy 25, let me just read this to you, just three verses. It says, remember what Amalek did on your way as you were coming out of Egypt, how he met you on the way and attacked your rear ranks, all the stragglers at the rear, when you were tired and weary, and he did not fear God. Therefore it shall be when the Lord has given you rest from your enemies all around in the land which the Lord your God has given you to possess as an inheritance, that you will blot out the remembrance of Amalek from under heaven, you shall not forget. That's God's promise. Now, as I said, those who persecute us, we pray for them. God judges them. Can I get an amen to that? And God is a, a loving, but you know what's amazing? God's judges them, but he gives them 300 years to repent. That's called grace. Can I get an amen? He says, you shall not forget. You shall bring righteous judgment against them. And then he gives them 300 years to repent and get right with the Lord. Now, the Amalekites are a type of the flesh. We'll talk about why. But notice that when we first see the Amalekites, the people that get attacked by them are the ones who are weary and weak. And when are we most susceptible to the flesh and our fleshly desires when we're weary and weak? Can I get an amen to that? When we're tired, when we're exhausted, when we're weary, when we're not walking in the fullest spirit, and yet exactly what happens, the Amalekites come. God pronounces righteous judgment upon them, and again, he gives them time to repent. Now, in 1 Samuel 15, 
Saul was told to go do what to the Amalekites? Wipe them out. Now, again, all the way back in Deuteronomy and Exodus, we see that God had brought judgment upon them. So now he's telling him, you're my man to bring about my judgment. Go kill all the Amalekites. Now, what happens instead? When he, he brings back Agag, the king of the flesh, he brings back the spoils of war, and he, instead of obeying God, he's mocking what God called him to do because he literally marches Agag through town in chains to say, look what I did. I brought back the king of the Amalekites. Now, this is just Pastor Dave's perspective, but for me, Agag is a type or a picture of that pet sin that people don't want to let go after they give their life to Jesus. This is my king of the flesh that I'm going to hold on to. Yeah, I wiped out all the stuff that was of no value, but I'm hanging on to alcohol, drugs, pornography, angerness, anger, bitterness, uh, my horrible temper, uh, my pride, whatever it is. And you know what? The Lord says, put it all to death. Can I get an amen? The flesh needs to be put to death completely. And what happens is Saul brings Agag back. If you remember what happened with Agag, Saul, Samuel shows up and he's like, hey. And as soon as Saul sees me, he goes, I did everything the Lord told me to do. That might work on somebody. It ain't going to work on God. Can I get an amen to that? I did everything God told me to do. And then he says, what is that lowing of sheep I hear? Because he's supposed to kill all the livestock. And then uh, Saul's response was, oh, it was the people. They brought them back so we could sacrifice them to the Lord your God. You know, Lord, I robbed the bank so I could tithe more. It's total nonsense. He didn't say the Lord our God. He says the Lord your God. And then Agag is brought out and Samuel shows up with a sword in his hand. And what does he do? He hacks Agag to pieces. Because guys, the only way we're going to put that king of the flesh in our life to death is with the sword, and the sword is the word of God. Can I get an amen to that? We spend time in God's word, it, it strengthens us in our walk with the Lord, it, equi- it better equips us to walk in obedience to the Lord, and by the power of the Holy Spirit and the word of God, it gives us strength to have victory over the flesh in our life every day. Can I get an amen to that? And what's amazing about this is because of this, the kingdom is ripped from Saul. He had already made a sacrifice when he should, and he'd already made a rash oath when he should, and the Amalekites was the final straw. But here's the interesting part. We just saw that an Amalekite was there and either put him to death or witnessed his death. And isn't it interesting that he didn't kill all the Amalekites, and then it was an Amalekite that brought news of his death. And guys, if you don't put the flesh to death, the flesh will kill you. Amen? What you think is an innocent thing holding on to one little piece of this in your life, guys, look, we all sin, but we all should hate our sin. We shouldn't protect it. We shouldn't carry it around. We shouldn't prop it up. We shouldn't make excuses for it. Can I get an amen? Guys, if we're filled with the Holy Spirit, we should hate our sin. Hate it. And while we're not sinless, we should sin less. Amen? By the way, there's another way that the Old Testament tells us in dealing with the putting the flesh to death. It's not only the sword that kills it, but, but in, in Exodus 17, there's a battle between the children of Israel 
and the Amalekites. And if you remember what happened, Moses was told, as long as he held the staff up, they would have victory over the Amalekites. And so he was holding up his staff, and they were winning the battle. And they were wiping out the Amalekites. But when he began to get weary, his arms would drop from carrying the staff, and the Amalekites would start running over the children of Israel. Guys, if we're to have victory over the Amalekites, if we're to have victory over the flesh, this is where it begins. Can I get an amen? It's a place of prayer and a place of worship. You know, lifted hands or I surrender to you, Lord. Can I get an amen? I surrender fully to you, Lord. And so in a position of prayer, in a position of worship, when we're praying, when we're seeking the Lord, when we're worshiping Him, God will give us victory over the flesh. Can I get an amen to that? You know what else is awesome? Not only the sword, the word of God and worship and prayer, but when his hands grew weary, Aaron and Hur came alongside him And they each held up one of his hands so that his hands would not grow weary because Christianity is not for the lone ranger. Can I get an amen to that? And not only do we need to be people of prayer and people of worship, but we need to be people of fellowship. The Bible says a three-chord strand is not easily broken. And guys, when we are weak, we need those who are strong to come alongside us. Can I get an amen to that? And that's why we forsake not the gathering yourselves together and all the more as the day approaches. When you're walking in sin, the enemy wants you to stay as far away from fellowship as possible. Who can say amen to that? You know when you're blowing it, you want no part of church. You know when you're blowing it, you don't, you don't want to run into a Christian friend. You're not picking up the phone if they call you. Why? Because you know it's going to be convicting. I have one, one buddy of mine, I, I would, he would disappear. Months on end. Oh, I know, I know what he's up to. And I would call him and call him and call him, and he wouldn't answer. And then one day he'd pick it up and go, yeah, I know, I know, I backslid, and I'm outside of God's will, and I need to get right with the Lord. I, yeah, I know, I know, I'll be there on Sunday. They don't say anything. But the reality is, the Amalekites, the flesh, need to be put to death. And the Old Testament, I love that picture, the Word of God, worship, prayer, fellowship, The Bible rocks, can I get an amen? And if you don't put the flesh to death, the flesh will kill you, and that's what happened with Saul, amen? Bible rocks, it's so good. So how do we win that battle? Surrender, prayer, worship, having others to hold up our hands in fellowship, accountability, can I get an amen to that? And again, putting Agag to death. So we win that battle with surrender, prayer, worship, fellowship, accountability in God's word. Verse 14. So David said to him, how was it you were not afraid to put forth your hand to destroy the Lord's anointed? I think the guy is sensing something's changing right about now. I I didn't get a fist bump. I'm waiting for a parade. I think I'm going to get a feast. And all of a sudden, David looks at him and says, so... Pastor Dave paraphrased. So who do you think you are lifting your hand to God's anointed king over Israel? At at what point did you think that was a good idea? At what point did you think you were going to get away with that? How in the world did you think that was going to be okay? And all of a sudden he's like, oh man, I carried that crown. I ran her as fast as I could get. And the tone's changing in the room. You know, it's interesting. Well, look what he says of Saul here. How is it you were not afraid to put your hand to destroy the what? 
The Lord's anointed. God raised him up. God takes him down. It's not my job. Pray for him. You know what? We need to be careful. All the people come to me and say, what do you think of so-and-so? This pastor, that pastor. What do you think of this person? And there's people I don't agree with. There's some people that don't teach the Bible at all, and we need to pray for them. Can I get an amen? They need to get saved. But there are people that love the Lord, and they're just from a different perspective than maybe I would be. And they'll go, oh, that person's the Antichrist. They're not the Antichrist. Someone said that about Rick Warren. What do you think of Rick Warren? I said, you know what? He's my brother in Christ. He loves the Lord. You know, we're a little different in the way we look at some stuff. But you know what? He's my brother, and God bless him, and I'm praying for him. Can I get an amen to that? Instead of attacking, you know, everyone who's not exactly like us and doesn't worship the way that we do and doesn't, you know, doesn't follow the, the same banner. Guys, we got one banner, it's Jesus. And we don't follow after a denomination. And so here he is, he's like, look, yeah, you know what, Saul's out, of the, but God, that God put him there and God takes him down. And if you get in the way of what God's choosing to do, you're touching the Lord's anointed. Now that gets abused sometimes because people... If they have to tell you they're anointed, they're not. Can I get an amen to that? I'm anointed. These clothes are anointed. My head's anointed. I'm anointed. Dude, if you've got to tell me you're anointed, you ain't. Can I get an amen? <laughs> but David knew that since God put Saul on the throne, it was God's job to end the reign. And woe to one who puts forth his hand to destroy the one that God has appointed. Look at them. Then verse 15. Then David called one of the young men. Boy, these things just change in a hurry. It's going to be a party. There's going to be a feast. They're probably going to, you know, probably get Mike, Mike Knightney or something. And we'll, you know, Mike, oh man, I'm going to be in a position of authority. He's going to give me a big reward. Who do you think you are touching the Lord's anointed? Oh, I, that's just. Turns to a young man. Hey, kill him. Hey, young man, kill him. Says there, execute him. Go near and execute him. And he struck him, so he died. And yet another Amalekite dying with a sword. Can I get an amen to that? More of the flesh being put to death with a picture of the word of God. David's grief, grief was, will, was real. And he didn't put on a false display of grief and then secretly honor the man. David, helping to fulfill God's promised judgment of Amalek that Saul had failed to do out of heart of disobedience, rebellion, and greed. And the end result is that Saul died at the hand of the very person he should have put to death. So David said to him, Your blood is on your own head, for your own mouth has testified against you, saying, I have killed the Lord's anointed. Your blood is on your own head, for your mouth has testified, I have killed the Lord's anointed. There were many factors that might excuse what the Amalekite did. Saul was in rebellion and hardened his heart toward God. Saul was trying to kill David. Saul was already dying. Saul asked the Amalekite to kill him. And maybe the Amalekite merely discovered his body and he was already dead. But none of these excuses mattered because God alone is the one who gives and takes life. Can I get an amen to that? Now he has commanded us in his word that if somebody kills somebody, then the government authorities that God has placed there, that that life can be taken. Is that in the Bible? That's why we believe in the death penalty. And you know what? I've ministered to people on death row. I've, I've led some to the Lord. I have prayed with them. And at the same time, once they become Christians, they still recognize that the consequences are coming and they deserve it. Those, both of those things can be equally true. 
But if you're on death row and you know Jesus, all of a sudden it's just moving day to a much better neighborhood. Can I get an amen to that? So the word of God, he's the giver and taker of life. And sometimes he uses the government. Sometimes he uses, uh, hey, I, I believe God's hand was clearly with the allies when Hitler got wiped out. Can I get an amen to that? Slaughtering millions of Jews. Now again, God is the one who does it, but it's ordained by God. And it's not done in vengeance. It's not done in our anger. It's not done in our flesh. Can I get an amen? And it's not done for our promotion, but for God's glory. Can I get an amen to that? Saul was in rebellion. He killed David. He was already dying. Yet none of those excuses mattered because God is fully able to deal with his servants, even those who only merely claim to be his servants. That's why, I don't, look, guys, life is in God's hands. Can I, can I get an amen to that? I believe we should take the lives of the, of, the, of the ones who are about to be born or the ones who are about to go to heaven. I believe that's totally in God's hands on both ends of life. Can I get an amen to that? We're living in a world now that's saying the, the less valuable life is, maybe we can get rid of those people because they're taking up space. And you know what? That baby's an inconvenience so we can kill them. And both of those are ungodly. Can I get an amen? Final point. Godly response to those who persecute you. We should not delight in the death of those who persecute us. We must not take the attacks upon the Lord's anointed lightly. We're to focus on, God, on godly attributes of others, not their shortcomings. Now watch what happens as we finish up. Then David lamented with his lamentation over Saul and over Jonathan, his son. David writes a song of lamentation. The word Hebrew for lament is to chant or to wail at a funeral. It's a cry of deep sorrow. It says in verse 18, And he told them to teach the children of Judah the song of the bow. Indeed, it is written in the book of, of Jasher. Now, or Yasher, if you want to get Hebrew. He commanded that the song be taught to all the children of Judah. That it would not just be he and his men who would mourn, that all, the, all of Israel would mourn the death of Saul and Jonathan. Now, a book of, of, of Jasser, Yasser, some people say, well, where is that? Yasser. Well, again, it, it, it was believed to be a collection of Hebrew poetry. It wasn't a part of the Bible. But he, had, he commanded that everyone mourn for Saul. Instead of having a parade that everyone rejoiced for Saul, he commanded that they would mourn for both Saul and for Jonathan. Verse 19. The beauty of Israel is slain on your high places. How the mighty have fallen. Tell it not in Gath. Proclaim it in the streets of Ashkelon, lest the daughters of the Philistines rejoice, lest the daughters of the uncircumcised triumph. That sounds like David and Goliath, David. Can I get an amen? He was once camping out with them. Now he's calling them the uncircumcised Philistines again. Now he's saying, we don't want them rejoicing again. What happened? God got his attention, and David has repented at this point. We're seeing that his focus is changing. And now, as he's worshiping the Lord, and as he's singing this morning of lament, and again, he calls Saul the beauty of Israel. He saw the beauty in Saul. You know, the Lord sees, the Lord desires that none should perish, no, not one. Can I get an Amen. And while he loves us all, we're not all his children, but we all can be. Amen? Man looks on the outward appearance and God looks on the heart. And God has a love for people. 
He saw the beauty in Saul. He wanted no one to rejoice over his death. He wanted everyone to mourn, even the mountains and the fields. He praised Saul as a mighty warrior. He complimented the personality and loyalty of Saul. He called daughters, uh, the daughters of Israel to mourning and, pray, and praised the God of Saul. Look what it says here. Let's continue on. Let the daughters of the Philistines rejoice. Let the daughters of the uncircumcised triumph. We cannot let, let, let the daughters, let's pray that in the streets that they, they do not celebrate. O mountains of Goboa, let there be no dew nor rain upon you, nor fields of offerings. For the shield of the mighty is cast away there. The shield of Saul, not anointed with oil. For the blood of the slain, for the fat of the mighty, the bow of Jonathan did not turn back, and the sword of Saul did not return empty. He's actually praising Saul, because Saul did early on have some victories that he won for Israel. If you recall, when he was first anointed king, then he went out and fought battles. He started off humble and desperate for God, and he, he was used mildly by the Lord until he fell into the trap of getting you know, caught up in his own fleshly desires and seeking the praise of men instead of being obedient to the Lord. David calls for a widespread mourning over the entire nation and reminds Israel of the victories that Saul had brought to them. Notice he said he didn't want them rejoicing in the land of the Philistines. I will tell you that it, I remember 9-11, and I remember that there were groups that were celebrating what they had done to us. And I have to confess, that's not something that you like to see. Can I get an amen? And David is saying the same thing. I don't want them rejoicing that Saul is dead. That's not acceptable. It's not okay. Verse 23, we're almost done. They were beloved. So Saul and Jonathan were beloved and pleasant in their lives. And in their death, they were not divided. They were swifter than eagles. They were stronger than lions. O daughters of Israel, weep over Saul, who clothed you in scarlet and luxury, who put ornaments of gold on your apparel. How the mighty have fallen in the midst of the battle. Jonathan was slain in your high places. I am distressed for you, my brother Jonathan. You have been very pleasant to me. Your love to me is wonderful, surpassing the love of a woman. David reminds the women of Israel of the blessings and safety and prosperity that they knew under Saul's reign. And David finishes lament by mourning over the dearest and closest friend that he has. Now let me just say something as we close about verse 27 here. Because the, the enemy... Surpassing the love of women, I've had homosexuals tell me that that verse means that David and Jonathan were intimate and had this ungodly relationship because he said his love for Jonathan surpassed the love of women. Uh, that's not what it means. It literally means, if you want to get technical, surpassing the love that a mother has for a child. His love for Jonathan was greater you know, the love that a mom has for a child is a love that's hard to surpass. Can you get an amen to that? A five-foot-tall mom will stand in front of a charging train to save her kid. Can I get an amen to that? There's nothing that will stand in her way. Her love is unconditional, unstoppable, unwavering. Can I get an amen? And he's saying that the love that he has for Jonathan is even greater than a love that a, that a mother has for her child. And you know what? When you have Jesus in common, you can have agape for each other. Can I get an amen to that? It's a supernatural. I had a sales call the other night. Never met this guy in my life. He's an attorney out in, uh, 
Santa Clarita. We start talking. I find out he's a believer. And man, we're talking about Jesus for three hours. When I left, I was hugging on him. I said, bro, I'm closer to you than some people I'm related to. Because when he got Jesus in common, he got everything in common. Can I get an amen? And Jonathan and David were like-minded in their love for the Lord and their love for each other. And he's mourning over the death of his dear, dear friend. Can I get an amen to that? To take this anywhere else requires that you start with a perverted mind. Can I get an amen? People that start with a perverted mind are looking for perverse things. And again, agape, unlike flesh-centered eros love, which is experienced in ungodly relationships, this is a love that loves someone outside of itself more than itself. So David lamented Saul's death. And again, if you only read the text, you would think that he lost his best friend. If you just read this, you wouldn't even know that Saul ever did anything to him. Can I get an amen? You would think that Saul was the greatest guy who ever lived. And here's the reality. As believers, as we talk about each other, I pray that when we speak about each other, again, not that we are, are under the assumption that everybody, that we're all perfect and we never make, that's not the case. But you know what? We ought to be people who praise and encourage each other, not tear each other down. And when people walk away from spending time with us, they should feel like the people that we talk about, they feel better about them, not worse about them. Can I get an amen to that? And we live in a time today where people love to tear each other down and attack each other. And it's just not, you know, a couple years ago, God put it on my heart, at work especially, that I would always, and again, give praise and encourage people. And there are people that are real competitive in sales, hard to imagine, but they're real competitive in sales, and they want to be better than everybody else, and you can get into that mode. And God just put it on my heart. So when we got a new president of the company, he's walking around the office, I'm introducing him to everybody, and all I'm doing is... Man, this gal, she's one of the best salespeople you're ever going to meet. She's one of the hardest working people you've ever seen in your life. I'm just seeing her. And man, I'll tell you what. You know what that does? It's going to give me an opportunity to minister to her. Can I get an amen to that? And he's talking about Saul. And you would think that Saul was the greatest guy who ever lived. Do we see any threw spears at me? Is it in the song anywhere? He stole my wife from me. Is it in there? It's not there. Prayer and praise. Can I get an amen? Then he says, last verse. How the mighty have fallen and the weapons of war have perished. While God's judgment is always righteous and just, He takes no delight when the wicked enter into eternal judgment. We're not to rejoice at the death of the wicked because therefore the grace of God goes every single one of us. Can I get an amen to that? May we, like David, be heartbroken when somebody dies. And may we pray May every believer this side of heaven be on their knees praying for every unbeliever this side of hell. Can I get an amen to that? Now again, that doesn't mean we condone their lifestyles. It doesn't mean we say their behavior is okay. It doesn't mean that we keep our faith to ourselves out of fear of offending. We, we need to share the truth, but do it in love. Can I get an amen? Do it with a heart of love and kindness and grace and a mercy. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you. We praise you. We love you. You are indeed a great and an awesome God. We thank you for your word. Lord, help us to respond in a way to those who persecute us in a way that brings glory and honor to your name. May we never lash out in our own flesh, our own desires from our own will. Lord, may we bring glory and honor to your name. Lord, may we love people in such a way that they'll want to know the one who loves us. And Lord, I pray for those who persecute us. We pray that they'd be saved. I pray for the people that are in the room tonight, that one person that is so difficult 
Help us, Lord, to pray for them by name. And we want to see them come to know you, to be born again, that your kingdom would be added to. So, Lord, we love you. We praise you. We thank you. In Jesus' name we pray and all God's people said, let's stand up and worship.